You can't talk about art history without seeing the impact Catholicism has had on art and the impact that art has had on Catholicism. It's time for our monthly art history lesson with Charles and Amanda Shepard from the Fort Wayne Museum of Art. This is Kyle Hyman. I am here at the Fort Wayne Museum of Art for my monthly art history lesson from Charles and Amanda Shepard. Thanks for having me at your beautiful establishment. And thanks for coming back, Kyle. It's good to be here. Yeah. On the show. Thank you. Previously Mm -hmm. on art history lessons, Mm -hmm. we were talking about these, uh, how did you describe penitential paintings? Uh Uh-huh. Sure. So the... Protestant reformers attacked a number of Catholic teachings, um, especially confession and the process of confession, you know, contrition, the confession itself, and then penance. Mm -hmm. And Martin Luther argued that priests perverted this process and that we only need to confess to God or a trusted friend. And so the Catholic Church, of course, to counteract that, hired painters to not only uh, instruct the clergy on the importance of confession, but also the lay people. Uh-huh. And and last show, we talked about two paintings that were meant for priests right. to remember the penitents, St. Peter and St. Jerome. And today, we will talk about how the church inspired the lay people to come to Christ with their confessions. Okay, I'm drawing... A lot of this research from a book that Charles and I have been reading, Elizabeth Lev's How Catholic Art Saved the Faith, and she makes the case that the Catholic Church, around the time of the Council of Trent in the 1540s, really wanted to respond to the divisions in the church and the confusion with um, the Reformers, wanted to respond not only with teachings and responses, but with art. Mm -hmm. And so, the church actually hired artists to paint pictures that would address these heresies. Wealthy clergy or, you know, wealthy church members actually said, you know, picked a bunch of artists and said, paint this, paint that, we need to have pictures of this. Yeah. Well, an interesting thing in terms of a commission, too, is that a little bit unlike a commission in the 20 or 21st centuries, these commissions would be, this is the scene we'd like. Mm Mm-hmm. We have no idea how to do it. That's why we're hiring you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So partly was the competition to be competent that you could do a painting. Uh-huh. The second thing was, is that how compelling would your version of this be compared to somebody else's version? Mm-hmm. And the most compelling people got more commissions. Sure. So the paintings that we're talking about today are about the mercy of Christ and the endless love that awaits people who come to him for forgiveness. And that was really the message that the church wanted to give the lay people. Confession doesn't have to be this humiliating, terrifying experience. It is about approaching Christ, who is an endless font of mercy and love. And two artists did that in really dramatic ways. And the first painting is by uh, Titian, and for our listeners, that's Mm T-I-T-I-A-N. And Christ and the Good Thief was painted around 1566. And a little bit of context on his life, Titian actually came to work for Pope Paul III in 1546, the year after the Council of Trent opened, and he attended a session on penance. And as a young painter, he was known for his haughty aristocratic portraits and kind of decadent 
still lifes and lifestyle paintings, really not a lot of spirituality there at all. But then as he matured, so did his work, but he also suffered successive losses of his wife, daughter, and a grandchild. Mm. And at that point, he started painting Christ and the crucifixion. And the painting that we're talking about today is Christ on the cross and the good thief. And we know that Christ hung there with criminals, Mm -hmm. but only one criminal came to repentance Mm -hmm. right before he died. And this is that criminal. And um, Christ is at the forefront of the painting. He's bathed in light. He is the absolute focal point of the painting. And yet to his immediate right is the thief next to him, looking at him. And he's raised his arm up to Christ, which to me looks like a gesture of acknowledgement. And he's saying, we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. We know that from scripture. And then Jesus says to him, you will be with me today in paradise. That was the first confession. And (laughs) that was the the message that, that the lay people needed to see. And a couple of points about the imagery is even though the painting is done in a lot of rusts with a lot of dark and brown, you see the Roman swords in the background, right at their feet. Okay, yeah. So they're raised above what we might call the tortures of the world. And I mean, both men are are nearly naked and they cannot move their limbs. They're powerless by bodily standards. And yet the thief approaches the Lord mm-hmm. and the Lord forgives him. And, you know, Jesus is stretched out really wide. He's asking anybody, you know, come to me, I'm here. Yeah. And it's important to see also that his head is is hanging low in humility. Mm-hmm. He's not judging. He's not haughty. He's not looking down at him, condemning him. He's turning, you know, he's he's gazing at him really gently, which I think is the attitude of Christ in confession yeah. throughout the ages. And that's what this painter was going for. Well, and as, as, as you look at the composition, as, as you mentioned, there's very interesting things happening about the elevation of both figures and the lowering in a compositional sense of the soldiers and of the spears. Uh, these two individuals are beyond that mm-hmm. at this point. Now, Christ is placed on the cross and depicted now on the cross in a manner that there is is nothing he can do. This is his fate. Mm-hmm. Now, if you notice the way that the good thief is put on the cross in the painting, he has the ability to move that arm just enough and to move his head, and he has the energy, which to me is the spirit coming to him to, you know, you could take the next, you have a choice. You could take the next best step. Mm -hmm. I cannot, Mm -hmm. but I will forgive you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And look at at the expression on his face and his eyes. His eyes are open wide. He realizes now who Mm -hmm. this is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's a really good point. You know, Christ is nailed and here the thief is tied. Right. And so, he's probably in less pain than our Lord. And as Charles says, he can, he can still make choices 
with his body and his head. You know, he doesn't look nearly as weak as right. Christ. No, he's, he's beefier. Probably yeah. hasn't been he's, tortured as much. Yes, no, no, exactly. he's not wearing a exactly. crown of thorns. Right. He's he's not as psychologically distraught either. Mm-hmm. And and the soldiers are are there, but as Charles said, they're they've ascended that. They're above that at this point. Yeah. So last month you mentioned that the St. Peter and St. Jerome were mm-hmm. made for priests, were probably in private quarters. Mm-hmm. Where would this have been on display for the faithful? This would have been in a church. In a church. Okay. Yeah. You know, these paintings probably wouldn't have been right at the altar. I don't think that that would have been, but you know, Maybe they, a side altar or right, something like that. Right. Yeah. Or near the confessionals. Huh. Especially this one, because I think, as you said before, it is the first confession. Yeah. And it is an indicator to us for what we should be doing Mm -hmm. and that it's never too late. I mean, even though he's in better condition than the Lord is at this point, he, he still isn't going anywhere either. Yeah. But it's still not too late Mm -mm. to repent. Uh No. And, and what's, what's so again for the lay person, it's like this thief who had been condemned has still been forgiven. And as Charles said, what more is there? Mm Mm-hmm. You're face to face with the Lord. What can you do besides ask for forgiveness? And if he was forgiven and entered into paradise, then anybody on this earth could do the same thing. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's that's the barrier to confession that so many people have is they think their sin is too great. Right. But this painting would have erased all of that. Yep. His cross is, is through an egregious crime. Mm-hmm. Our cross is our, our own lack of humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to the confessional because, after all, I wear a tie and I'm a business person, and I I don't think I have anything to confess. Right? You know, I'm not that bad. Well, of course, yeah, of right. course he is. You know, so our need isn't as great. But again, I love that the fact that these paintings cut through the fog here. You know what I mean? Like, you're on the cross as much as he is, mm. but he's at least being honest about it. Right. And it's also that strange reality that the Lord did nothing wrong and yet he was condemned to death. Yeah. So <laughs> we who have done things wrong <laughs> should go to him. Now let's move on to our second painting, which is an equally tender scene. This is Christ crowned with thorns by Anibale Karachi. This was painted 30 years later in 1596 and it was commissioned, it was painted for Cardinal Eduardo Farnese. So as we said that the upper clergy would have access to resources that would allow them to commission these paintings. Mm -hmm. And this painting is another testimony of the effects of sin. And again, it's a close first person, so to speak, painting. We're in the first person with Christ. In a lot of paintings of Christ, we see him surrounded by a lot of people, um, people, you know, trying to get at his garments, a Mm -hmm. lot of soldiers around him. This is, uh, we're, we're seeing Christ from the chest up, and he is uh, joined by two soldiers, one who is in his face. He's aggressively placing the crown of thorns on his head, and his finger is really aggressively going at his, at his face. Uh-huh. Right over his shoulder is another soldier right. that you can see in the shadows. So, you know, these two are conspiring. They're executing their orders and and they just look so nasty and merciless mm-hmm. in earlier i'm gonna guess something like four or five earlier 
uh, prints, not paintings. So they're going to be more akin to a drawing. Okay. Uh, this scene is is less moving, but scarier because the second soldier in a series of prints I looked at this afternoon, the second soldier and this person, they're gleeful in their torturing of Christ. Mm. And the the one behind has got a pointed stick that he's ramming Christ with. And this one is, you know, these the thorns. The thorns are two or three inches long. They, yeah. they look painful to look at. And he's grinding them in and he's pushing into his face. And there's a, a sneer, a leering on his face. And I think he got this commission. I think that Karachi got this commission based on those earlier pieces because it's, it's fascinating to me that Karachi and in past editions of the show, we've mentioned that Karachi was not a good behaving person, huh. but but he actually was a, a devout Christian, if you can reconcile that. He's yeah. like, I, I'm really good at sinning, <laughs> um, but his passion for Christ ran high. And the, you know, the kind of the revolting situation that could happen by these guys getting at Christ, it really moved him. Yeah, and let's look at the two pairs of hands that we see in this painting, the soldier's hands are thick and meaty and there's a lot of strength in them. And and they're grinding that crown of, crown of thorns into his head and, you know, thrusting his finger to his face. Christ's hands are bound by rope. And so they're overlapping. They're markedly thinner. He has a lot less color in his skin. There's no strength. He's exhausted. They're, they're limp. He can't do anything. As we, in the last painting, you know, he can't do anything with his limbs. Mm -hmm. And he's not even trying to. He's not even trying to fight back or anything. One hand is feebly trying to raise to the soldier, and the other is doing the same to us, the viewer. Christ, bound, tortured, humiliated, reaches to us in friendship. And, and to his torture. Yeah. Which is quite incredible. He's yeah. trying to offer him forgiveness. Yeah. And he's willing to do it, just like he did the thief. It, it, you know, if if we could find, you know, an artist who's actually traced the passion of Christ, I, I bet you'd see depictions of him attempting to offer mercy at every stage of right. his passion. It's a forgive them for they know not what they do. Sure. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, exactly. That's what you that have could... <laughs> no idea what you are doing right now. Yeah. Yep. I know. And then the effects was, you, you should look at this and you should cry. And I think today you look at this and you're horrified. You know, the crowns being forced onto his head his face is so pitifully exhausted and yeah. colorless but he you know he's still tenderly yeah. looking at the soldier the painter meant for us to be in this intimate space with christ we are looking at him as closely as we can yeah well you, a couple of other i know i take this too far probably but <laughs> a couple of other little cues from from the artist's perspective is the torturer's hands are muscly and gnarly, but they're also dirty. Mm. Christ are are not gnarly, they're not muscly, and they're absolutely immaculate. Mm -hmm. The cloak that the torturer has on is rough burlap, mm -hmm. uh, which on the one hand is going to indicate his, his station in life perhaps, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, it brings him to a very earthly, non-heavenly visage, whereas uh, Christ 
even as he's being tortured, appears in this moment, and this is a pure device of the artist, to be having a satin cloak on. Uh-huh. Well, this is who I really am. Yeah. Uh, and this is who you really are. Right. And as Charles said, you know, the, the irony of it all is that he was given that cloak as a mocking gesture. Oh, here's the king of the Jews. And yet this is the king. Right. In, he's not a king of high majesty at this point. He's not standing up straight. His head is hung low in humility and forgiveness. Um, another thing that I think about is this, this shadowy figure over Christ's left shoulder. Now, we don't really know what he's doing. He may not be doing anything at all, but he's complicit. Right. And that figure you know, is the coward, the coward of the world that does nothing at all. Hiding in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Huh. And, and you know, this is the aggressor right. who's taking charge, following orders. And here's the coward who is is just as full of blame as the aggressor. Sin of omission. Like, mm-hmm. didn't, didn't do anything to stop it. Yeah. No. Just yeah. following orders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, as we said, these are for the lay people to invite them to the mercy of Christ. I think in both paintings, we see such intensity of the moment and, you know, we're going to extremes here. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't get any worse than this. And yet Christ wants you to come to him. Yeah. All right. Well, people are going to have to check out these images. We'll have links to them in the show notes. You can do searches for them as well. But what is going on here at the Fort Wayne Museum of Art? So uh, our big photography show of the summer is by Imogen Cunningham, and she is now deceased, but she was famous for being part of the group F64, which was a photography group that focused on simple subjects in very sharp focus. So it was a a camera technique and, and also a conceptual way of depicting the life around her. So Imogen Cunningham, photographer. All right. Well, people can check it out. Stop by the museum and also the website, fwmoa.org. That's right. All right. Thank you.